Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sunday School by David Francis on January 31st, Lord's Day Service. particular Sunday School series. If you haven't been here um, this month, we've taken four Sundays to talk about singing, music in the church. Um, and then uh, the first first week, Jason went through why we're singing hymns primarily. Um, and so the, again, I'll, I'm going to try to summarize some of the things. So if you weren't there, my talk will give a little more context and also hopefully we'll kind of package this whole sun, uh, this whole month of Sunday schools, um, so that you can hopefully remember some of these things. So we have, you know, the church has thousands upon thousands of songs to sing, to choose from when we meet, as well as we have the songs. So how do we pick what we sing? Um, Jason went through and gave an argument for how we go about, like what kind of rubric do we use to pick those songs? What is uh, good to sing together? And right now, obviously, we have to do something. So on Sundays, we primarily we've been singing from the cantus. It's uh, those songs. It's you know, it's half psalms, and then the other half of the hymnal is hymns that have served the church well for you know a thousand years or so, hundreds, thousands of years. Um, and so we we don't want to leave that rich tradition behind and think we can come up with something new and better. So we're deliberately choosing, choosing to join into that stream of tradition. Uh, and we, all, we also made the arguments that the, we want our songs to engage men, women, children, everybody. We want everyone to be singing along. And that's not true of all music. Um, due to lyrics, arrangements, accompaniments, whatever else, there are reasons that some songs are preferable to sing in corporate settings than others. And then lastly, uh, spoke about how the medium matters while we sing. And then following that, Matt uh, Carpenter spoke on warfare and worship. I was out that week, but what I think he spoke about, um, maybe if he wants to give a summary, he can. But the idea being that uh, when God sent people, his people into battle, he put musicians amongst the, the people up front, which sounds pretty strange. Imagine the Navy SEALs having a sing team in front of their troops before they go into battle. We don't do that nowadays. So why were they doing that? Well, there could be a handful of reasons, but one, I mean, those men were exposed and they trusted in the Lord. You don't do that if you don't trust that your God will protect you. You don't go into battle with a trumpet or a drum or whatever if you don't think that the Lord will take care of you. And they're also explaining um, the Lord's glories to themselves and to the enemies. Um, so it, it, it's proclaiming the true nature of this world. The, the earth is the Lord, the fullness in, the, this battle belongs to the Lord. And then we took a break. The following week, Rich Lust came and spoke on biblical femininity and the crisis on femininity. And uh, he reflected on how feminism influenced the culture and then also how abortion is central to that cause. Um, and then following that last week, Larson gave us a crash course in all things practical singing. That started with um, singing techniques, body posture, how you sing from your gut, your diaphragm, different things to think about physically when you're singing. Then he spoke a little bit about um, 
uh, how to take a hymnal and follow along, how to read music. Um, and then a way I would, might say it is, um, you know, everyone here learned how to speak the language first before they learn how to read that same language. The same thing with music. We all know more or less how to sing, but then, well, how do we actually read music and make sense of what, what we're singing? So that's what we were tempted to start uh, doing. And then finally, within his uh, last week, we then put some practice in where we sang a song, sang some songs, and looked at some of the things that we were learning and tried to identify them in the songs. So before we get into the last lesson, was there is there any lingering questions um, from any of that? Is you know you went home, pondered it, had discussion over lunch, and said, well, you know what? I wonder about this. Um, and if not, the uh, one thing also, uh, we don't have to have a discussion about it here, but be thinking about this. If you feel like, hey, this was good, and I would like to actually become better, a better singer, and would like to be able to read music better, or something related to music, you feel like this was a good intro, but I'd like a little more instruction on it, or you know, I see that singing is important, uh, but I'm not very good at it, or I've never, no one's ever taught me anything when I open up a hymn and all. Um, if that's something you're interested in, we are very interested in teaching on those things. It doesn't have to be in this setting, like uh, kind of this lecture style. It could be, you know, getting in homes, um, and we go through some songs, and all right, here's how you pick out the melody, or here's what a quarter note looks like, maybe rehearsing or rehashing some of the, the theory portion just to get us better at looking at a hymnal. So if that is something you're interested in, um, talk to me or talk to somebody. I mean, get kind of let's start a, um, an interested mob of folks that want to get after that, and we'll continue on in those efforts. So just continue to be thinking, because we want to be a singing body. All right, so that's the that's the quick recap of what we've been doing these past few weeks. But before I get into to my talk, let's let's uh, ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, you're good to us. You have been good to your people from the beginning, and so we ask that you would continue to pour your your blessings on us, especially this time as we take some time out to think about singing, how you view singing, um, and how you want us to sing praise. May you teach us, open our, our minds, uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. And to Christ's name I pray. Amen. Got the sun on my notes. All right, so in case it wasn't clear, we are committed to being a singing people. Uh, and in two, in two ways, we, what we've been trying to do, again, is we want to have a right theology, our, our minds to think about how do we think about music, so that that goes deep into our roots, and so that for the rest of our lives we're forever changed, whether we stay here or the Lord takes us to another part of the world or wherever, we want that to be ingrained in our DNA. Part of Trinity's DNA is singing. And, but we also want to equip you with practical tools that are, how do I sing, how do I, if you want to lead a group or go and learn an instrument, we want to also equip um, everyone here to be somewhat proficient in music. And now we know that God gives gifts in abundance in different ways. Um, sometimes those gifts clump up on people. Some people will be fantastic or phenomenal musicians. And some people will say, well, I want to sing, but I don't feel like gifted. But you still can sing. So we just we recognize that's the case, and we want to encourage um, and promote uh, proficiency in those areas where we can. So today, 
gets us to uh, theology of music. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a case a bit more for how God utilizes music in the average Christian's life, in his people's life. What has God said about music to you, to us? And then we'll do kind of more a, a systematized approach about how, it's so kind of piggyback on what Jason was speaking on, but how do we go about like a rubric for picking songs, for choosing what we sing together as a church on Sundays? So first, um, we'll start off with some Bible trivia. Does, uh, does anyone happen to know the first time in Scripture where we have a corporate uh, time of praise with God's people? Uh, that's where we're going to go today. If you want to flip over to Exodus 14, that's where we're going to be to start out with today. So the first time God's people in praise sang to, sang to the Lord all together. All right, it's in Exodus 14. What we have here is Moses had just led the people out of slavery in Egypt, across the Red Sea. Uh, and right after they made it through, the waters came back <clears throat> down on their the people chasing them, the Egyptians. They made it across, and what did they do? First thing, they sang. This was a spontaneous song of praise. It wasn't it. God didn't say, okay, you made it across, sing. He didn't do any of that. It was they came across, and from there, um, out of gratefulness, they sang a song. And... Uh, this is Exodus 14, look about uh, around verse 30, right in the middle of verse 30. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Then Moses said to the children of Israel, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed graciously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And I'll stop there, but the song continues. And right after they finish their, their, that initial song, Miriam, the prophetess amongst, the, amongst Israel, she grabs a tambourine, a tambourine, what so some sort of instrument, percussive instrument, and she gets the ladies together and they start it again. The, the first four lines, if you look, uh, let's see here. But what you see them sing is they start the refrain again. And they all are singing and dancing together. And what what uh one thing I wanted to point towards and make a case for is it's interesting they didn't start a new song. They sang that song over again. And this is something, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard the word, I think it's kind of, it's new to me at least, earworm. Have you heard of the term an earworm before? I told it to my kids on the way, they really like the concept of a worm. But it's the idea being songs get in your head. So an earworm's a song, some sort of lyric, a tune that gets in your head and stays there, looping and looping and looping. And uh, when that happens, typically it's a song, maybe it's a song you don't want to be there and you're annoyed by it. But sometimes it's a good song, and you're happy it's there, and you can continue to sing it throughout your day. That is not a defect with our bodies. God knew from the beginning when he made us, he made our brains a certain way. He made our brains to make earworms. He made music to be like that in our head. And to see this further, 
If we flip over to Deuteronomy 31. So we started at the beginning of Moses' leadership with the people of Israel. Now we're going to the very end of Moses' leadership in Deuteronomy 31. This is when uh, uh, Joshua is there with Moses. Moses is kind of, he's giving instructions to Joshua how to lead the people. How do we continue to have a remnant, remain faithful, keep our people pure? So he tells Joshua the instruction, um, let's see, for, uh, Deuteronomy 31. If we look over the first uh, eight verses, he is uh, telling them, kind of getting it prepped, and then in verse 9, he gives them these instructions. He says, gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who's within your gates, that they may hear, and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God, and carefully observe the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land in which you cross the Jordan to possess. So, gather people every seven years. Let's read the law. Um, and so we want to, why are we doing this? So that this, this uh, generation continues in faithfulness. But then, immediately after that, the Lord takes Moses and tells him about Israel's future unfaithfulness. So you're, you're prepping Joshua to lead this people faithfully, but the Lord tells Moses, bad news, it's your people will not be faithful. So continue on in verse 16. Uh, God tells Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods and the foreigners of the land, where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Okay, so this is not good news. What, what should we do? Because Moses gave the instruction that he thought would work for the people. So then God tells, says, all right, because this will happen, here's what you need to do. Teach them a song. So verse 19. Now therefore, write down this song for yourself and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that the song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel when I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore their fathers, that they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. <clears throat> then they will turn to other gods and serve them. They will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be. When many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a witness. For it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. For I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I brought them to the land which I swore to give them. Alright, so Moses had it right where he he was instructing Joshua, we want to have continued faithfulness in Israel, so let's learn the law, teach it regularly. And that is the mechanism that we will use so that we remain faithful. And absolutely, that's not wrong. We are to continue to know the word of the Lord, his commandments, precepts. David in the Psalms says that uh, he encourages us to do that as well. But the Lord takes a different approach. He says, here's a song for us to learn, for you guys to learn, so that when you fall away, you won't forget this song. This song is going to be an earworm. It will stay in your heads, and it will serve as a, uh, a witness against you, so that uh, you will remember me through this song. Yeah, so God knows how we were made. <clears throat> when he crafted our, 
our bodies. He knew that music was going to get into our brains, into our hearts in unique ways. It's not as if this is you know, some sort of defect. So for the for the engineers in the room, this is a feature, not a bug. We were. This was how it's supposed supposed to be. Um, and so uh, let's see here. So yeah, when Joshua uh, Joshua was supposed to read the law seven years, and I. Uh, I didn't follow up in scripture to see if that was the case, if they continue, if that was the Feast of Tabernacles, or whether or not that happened. But God knew that, you know, man's weaknesses, it's hard to remember to do things over and over continually, but if you can teach a song, that will stick with them. It's, it's sticky in a way. So the songs are stickier in a way that, you know, reading big chunks of scripture. Unfortunately, some people have that memory, that photogenic, uh, photographic memory, and have the ability to memorize large chunks easily. But that's, most of us are not that way. Songs, however, can overcome that. God's made a way for, um, for us to memorize his word, remember his uh, commandments and testimonies. So that's uh, because we realize that's an essential aspect to our humanity, is the importance of music getting into us, that's why we've taken this whole month to teach on it, because we want to be growing individually as, uh, as a community together. So we want <clears throat> right thinking on music. We want singing to be central to the Christian life. So that's kind of, I wanted to first build the case for how God puts music, singing particularly, into our lives to teach us, to keep us near him. And now I'm going to jump over to more of a systemized, systematic approach to how we go about with song picking, uh, like what we want to be about when we're looking at music within church settings. Um, and I took this from, there's an OPC church up in Maryland that had a kind of an outline. I took from that, kind of modified it a little bit. And I'll try to, if, if there are no takers, I know some people do that. I'll, um, I'll, I'll put the bullet points of what those things are. Uh, I didn't do it beforehand, but we'll, uh, we'll go through this list. And uh, I think, I don't have a watch on me, but if we have any time afterwards, we'll, uh, we can discuss any of these if, if, if there is any questions. So to start, in John 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well. They have a discussion about her marriages and unfaithfulness and her husbands. And she changes the subject to worship. And Jesus tells her that true, he, he tells about true worship because she's making some cases about, you know, mountains. If we go over here, how are we supposed to do this? And he says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So those are the first things we're going to do here. I don't fall off the stage. Spirit and truth. Okay. So of the spirit, this is kind of the uh, be the umbrella for which everything else will follow. So we'll have some other distinctives, but if the Holy Spirit is not part of these other things that we're talking about, then it doesn't matter. The Spirit has to inhabit our praise, or it's not true praise, because we're singing to God and we're relying on His Spirit to superintend those words up to God. And so if, if we're doing this out of our own strength or abilities, if we're doing it because we just like music and it's pleasing to us to sing, or if we're doing it because I don't like music but I have to, you know, I'll just, in a rote way, just repeat what's in the hymnable for me, all those ways are not proper praise to the Lord. And we could be doing it 
excellently, maybe you're an awesome singer, we could bring in Pavarotti. I, actually, I don't know the spiritual convictions of Pavarotti, so whether you're the conviction, whether you're the Christian or not, but we could have excellent singing done in completely the wrong manner because it's not of the spirit. So whether, or someone who is on the opposite side of the spectrum, they could be singing with all of their heart and not sound that great, but in, for them it's excellent, it's pleasing to the Lord if it's done in the spirit. So again, the spirit's kind of the umbrella for all of the other things that I will eventually list um, of how we sing. Uh, so second, in truth. So Jesus says, in spirit and in truth. In truth, how, um, uh, how, how I'll def define this is that the attitudes of our heart and the intentions of our mind reveal how seriously we consider truth when we're singing. So uh, God knows our hearts and he knows how we come before him. So whether it's coming in truth or in some sort of pretense. Um, and then also, truth could also mean that what we want to sing needs to align with our convictions. We don't need to sing wrong things to the Lord that are pleasing to him. So that's a, in spirit and in truth, um, guide us in all to forms of worship. So sec, uh, thirdly, we want to have biblical worship. That's kind of a catch-all phrase, I know. It can mean a lot of things there. Uh, but what I mean is, the as a rule of faith and practice, God's word is our authority. There's no other things that we draw authority from. You know, the text, we think that God has, God has spoken to us completely through his word. All things, um, his, all knowledge he has revealed to us through his word. So it contains sufficient principles, examples, directives to inform us, and everything related to worship music. So music serves in worship as prayer, praise, and proclamation. And although there are distinctions, in many ways, it's the pulpit ministry has a similar uh, has similar goals in that sense, because music can carry our thanksgiving as well as our laments and our cries for mercies. It should include the psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, voices, instruments, uh, and we want our this what we sing to not. Uh, uh, conflict with any of the teaching of Scripture, and in fact, Scripture is a great uh, singing Scripture. Singing the Psalms is a great way, the best text for worship. Okay, next we want our worship and our singing to be God-centered. All right, so <clears throat> the big the big message here is that our the, our texts. Uh, that we sing, and then our hearts should be focused on God, who is both the subject and object of our worship. Think of Psalm 100. It starts out, Make joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Music is offered principally to him, rather than to each other. It's for his glory, not our own glory. Yet, we have multiple instructions about the to one another aspects of singing, but it's not about or anyone's own glory being lifted up. So, for instance, we have Ephesians 5, 19. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to God. 1 Corinthians 14 says, When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And then finally, Colossians 3, Let the word of Christ dwell richly you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So there's definitely a communal nature built into singing. But 
we are not glorifying ourselves or one another. We are glorifying God while teaching one another. Next, we have excellence. We've already talked about this a little bit, that God gives gifts to us. Gives, he gives um, gifts in abundance to his children. Now, in music, those gifts, in all things, God's gifts clump up on us. Like, some of us are way better at some things than other people. Um, and we, we know those and recognize them, I and mean, that's what we talk about when the, the Christ Church being a body. We all have different tasks. We all have different abilities. God know that. That's a feature, not a bug. He meant us to, to function that way. Um, it's the same thing with music. Some people are uh, virtuosos when it comes to instruments or singing. Some people are not. It's perfectly fine. That's how God intended it to be. But no matter where you find yourself, God calls you towards excellence. In all of your life, but in music as well. So we're talking about music today. God has real standards when it comes to how we live our lives. So we, we reject some sort of re the, the relativistic breeze that blows through our culture that says it's not, you know, it's, you, do, you do you, you do your thing, it doesn't really matter. No, it does matter. I mean, we really want to be serious when we, when we sing, make melody, praise the Lord. Is, are we doing it in a way that honors God or not? We think that, it, that there really is a way that is proper. Um, however, excellence, I, I want to avoid the ditch that goes into pursuing excellence as a as the goal when it comes when we get together. Like, why do you be the best singer? No, no, we need to sing in the spirit to the best of our abilities. And so that's what I mean by excellence is we don't want to fall all the way into the ditch where if I'm not, you know, the best in the room, then I probably should stand back and be quiet and not let my voice be heard. No, we want your voice to be heard. In fact, um, I would even say if when you make a mistake, because everybody will, whether you're leading or singing or playing an instrument, when you make it when you make a mistake, it should be heard. And you know that's that's a sign that you're singing with your heart and with all with what you have. So your neighbor says, uh, you messed that note. And that's fine. We should it should be funny and we should enjoy singing together. So that we don't come too stuck up that, well, if I make a mistake, well, then I'm not being excellent enough. Or, no, no, no. God loves. God loves to hear us sing. And he is a, uh, a joyful father. He knows who knows what we're good at and what we're not good at. Uh, our, our second little uh, trivia question for us is, do does anyone know the first person who uh, we, we read explicitly in Scripture that God's spirit was upon them? So it, we could make it, and what I mean explicitly, it says God put his spirit on, fill in the blank. So the first person we know in the Bible is a guy named uh, Bezalel, I guess you pronounce it, in Exodus 31. He was commissioned to lead the group of men and people to build God's house, and build the tabernacles. How do you do all of your engraving, your stoneworking, the fabric work? When we build this thing, we want it to look, God said, I actually care about how this looks. So I'm putting my spirit on these people to do these things. I'm not just saying, you know, just grab whoever you want, let come on, let's cut some wood. No, he, he put his spirit on these particular people to perform a certain task. So, and all that to say, that, that uh, is to say God cares about excellence and how, like, how things look, how they sound. He wants, he desires excellence. In fact, that 
Um, that is an attribute of God. So that to say, we don't think in just wherever you're at, you know, just 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 belt out if it sounds awful. No, well, sure, we want you to belt out and sing with all your heart, but we also want to improve and to say, can is there ways that we could, as a body, continue to grow in our singing? Um, all right, next, meaningful. I'm gonna run out of space, I think. Meaningful. So our music offerings to the Lord must be intentional and have purpose. They shouldn't be trite. Uh, this comes from, you know, Jesus taught on prayer. He said, I don't, uh, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. The KJV says vain repetitions. Um, this applies to how we sing as well. Our hearts should be in it. Um, we shouldn't just do what everyone's doing because it's everyone seems to be standing up. I'm supposed to stand now. Everybody's got their hymnals open. I should open to that song. We should be engaged and have meaning and purpose in what we're doing when it comes to singing. Um, and our song should be meaningful. So the songs that we pick themselves should have real meaning and a place for the body. And they should be sung in meaningless ways. All right, next, it should be of the congregation. Sorry. Congregational. Um, again, I'm, I'm kind of beating the drum on this one. We've, I think Jason spoke at length on this one. We want our music, want, we want to find our basis in congregational singing. It's not about you know, the performers doing the professional stuff and we just sit uh, listening. Um, so we want our, our, our musical basis to be found in congregational singing. Uh, we find that's the most important form of worship music. So this characteristic informs our musical choices, that generally our music should be accessible to everybody, um, or be made accessible by teaching about it. I mean, that's why, that's why we have music lessons uh, sometimes before, if we're going to introduce a new song, we want everybody to be engaged, so we teach the song beforehand, and that's also why we started sending those emails out beforehand as well. So, you know, if there's a song I've never heard that, I've never seen it, or that one always confuses me, maybe you could go pull it up on YouTube or somewhere and go check it out and listen to it beforehand. Uh, this does not mean, however, that we're that we have to pick only popular songs, uh, and that or that a song shouldn't be immediately accessible. There are some tougher songs to sing, maybe some more difficult or some with larger words, and that's perfectly fine. That doesn't mean it's not a congregational song. It just means we learn as a congregation how we, how we sing it. Okay, next one. I wanted to put one that's uh, uh, a bit provoking because we would, I don't think we typically use this word. Um, I'll say charismatic. Uh, I can't spell this either. Not in front of people. Uh, all right, charismatic. So uh, I say that to be a bit silly and provoking because unfortunately this word has been hijacked by the Pentecostal movement. So when you think, you know, we're not talking about handling snakes or, you know, making loops around the room or anything like that. Um, but what charisma, charismatic, like what this word entails is our emotions are involved. We don't want dead men, women, children singing. We want all parts of your emotion to be engaged when we sing. So, yeah. Um, and if you look at the Psalms, this is clearly on display. However, the, one of the pitfalls with uh, 
the charismatic movement, Pentecostalism, is that emotional part is like one emotion. It's like amplified joy and elation. But that's not what we find in the Psalms. Emotions are all over the place. It could be joy and happiness. It could be lament. It could be extreme sadness. It could be confusion, questionings. God, why is this happening? But in all those cases, those are our emotions. Those emotions are given over to the Lord. Because I am engaging with you, and I'm giving you what I'm actually feeling right now, God. I'm not pulling back and hiding my emotions from you. So that's what I mean by charismatic, that our emotions are engaged while we sing. We're not just um, uh, singing as dead men. And women. Um, all right, a couple more uh, is uh, intelligible. And, uh, I should have wrote these out beforehand. Uh, we don't consider this a whole lot, probably, in our American reform circles. Uh, so I won't, I won't talk too much about this. But clearly, we need to sing in English. That's our, our language that engages our minds. Um, we need to sing in understandable ways. If there's anything difficult in the, in the what we sing, we need to explain it. And maybe if there's some sort of archaic word. It doesn't mean we avoid it, but we, we need to explain what it means. Because we want our intellects to be engaged. This kind of goes back to the truth part as well, that we sing in truth. But we, we, we want it to be intelligible to everybody. And then lastly, we want authentic worship. Uh, in the same way that the word charismatic's been kind of uh, uh, taken by the Pentecostal movement, the word authentic, depending on where you've come from, it might mean different things. It could mean, I've seen like, kind of this hipster mentality of we need to be open our hearts and be real and raw before God. And that's, you can only be truly authentic worship if, you know, I don't know, if you're crying. It's crying out to him or something, you know, something like that's happening. Like that's some true authentic worship. That's not what I mean by this. Well, here's a, a, a story from back when I was an undergrad. I was back in Mississippi, and a, a friend invited me to this small Reformed Baptist church, and um, I came out with them there. And it was, I think it had been around for a while, but they didn't have any, um, the, the gifts of uh, anyone leading musically, musically was, uh, was lacking in that church. And so what they did, they had a guy that, had his laptop hooked up to a speaker, and kind of like karaoke tracks for hymns. Hit play, and they sang along to him. And for me coming in, I mean, I was shocked right when that happened. Um, but they were used to it, and they sang along. But sure, lo and behold, the, the week I was there, the computer froze up, or it buffered. And it was just really awkward, because, I mean, what do you do? If it stops, you know, we're caught looking around like, this is awkward. Um, and it happened a few times during that time. And so what, I guess what I'm getting at is we're very thankful right now. Eliana's been graciously accompanying us here. But if we didn't have someone to play instruments along with us, we'd sing a cappella. Um, because so there's something about the natural sound that is important for us. We don't want to rely on like outside mediums to, um, to help guide us. We want authentic people. I say people-centered. It's God-centered, but as far as... The sound that we make needs to be of the people. So that's what I mean when I'm saying an authentic type of worship to him. So yeah, one of the things maybe we can think about, like if we have musicians leading us, they can hear the room. And if we as a church are speeding up, that may be a good thing. And they can join with us if we're slowing down 
or if we're taking communion and we need to sing another verse, we can. Like the type of flexibility that you can get with you know, humans being the ones that are leading as opposed to a computer or some pre-generated thing. Um, and then I'll, I won't go down too deep into rabbit hole here. We probably could take like a whole lesson into this. But there are also what I would classify unnatural sounds as well have been a part of the church, for instance, where when they prayed, they, they had a keyboard. It was a pretty hip church. And they had this keyboard. It's playing these really heavy, looping synthesizer music. as kind of like this atmospheric, airy sound. And it created a particular type of atmosphere, um, which in that church it was agreeable for the majority of the people. I found it to be very, it's very distracting for one, but then it also sets up this weird um, vibe for, all right, when we pray, do we have to have this otherworldly experience pushed through music, or can we pray, you know, in our closets where it's quiet, or do we really need um, all of these external, I would call them unnatural, kind of electronic sounding sounds? That's, again, that's another conversation as far as where's the line when we say, you know, what modern electronics has brought us lots of new sounds. What do we do with them as a church? Um, right now, we, we, we don't, aren't having to make those arguments and push, you know, that's really not a, um, something that we're engaging with right now. So whether or not we use, you know, synthesizers, heavy distortion on instruments. Um, things at our disposal due to modern electronics. So we can develop that further and we can have healthy debates about that outside of here. But when it comes to authentic music, we are typically going for natural sounds um, within whether it's our voices, um, the instruments we want, uh, but we want our voices to be pr uh, the predominant sound that we bring praise to the Lord with. Okay, so that's the my overall systematic approach um, to this is that we want to be a singing people in any way that um, because we know that God has ingrained that in our minds so that singing sticks with us in ways that um, just hearing hearing like or trying to memorize scripture which we ought to be doing and putting that deep within our heart but God knew that for Israel at that time if I teach you a song that will stick with you for ages and ages, your children and your children's children and children will remember that and it will serve as a witness against them. Because we know this is who we're made, this is how we're made, we want to lean heavy into that and say, God knows this about us, so we want to be serious about it as well. Okay, so is there any questions or thoughts or follow-ups on this? This will be our last uh, music yet, what you got, Daniel? Uh, I guess one thought that I had that popped in my head was accessibility. Um, and maybe you already covered it in some sense, but it seems to me that one of the most compelling reasons for uh, vocal worship uh, congregationally is that we all have access to vocal words. And maybe Larson touched on that too. Um, but I think about that in terms of reproducibility at home or, or doing chores or whatever with our family. You know, not all of us have guitar or piano skills and can look that out, but all have ways to sing. That's a good point. I don't know if Larson spoke on that, but or, um, yeah, that's a really good point that some, there's something about hymns typically that lend themselves to a cappella sing, singing. You don't need the rhythm section driving the song along. Because that's that is uh, I guess one of my critiques about some of the some modern uh, contemporary music is 
if you didn't have the drums given that heavy beat or the guitars pushing it along, the songs are kind of boring. They kind of lay flat, like the melodies aren't interesting. They don't capture the emotions that some of the other ones would. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely agree that we want our songs to be accessible here, and then when we send, send you out to your homes, your communities, wherever you are, that you can hum along to them. And that's not true. I mean, there are songs, if you listen to Caleb, the songs can get stuck in your head as earworms too. Some of them are good, some of them are not as good. But that guy knew when he made us that way, that they'll stick with you, and we want our songs that we sing here to be accessible outside these walls as well. Yeah, he said it. I was curious about uh, the thing that uh, the songs are supposed to be for our edification. We're supposed to edify each other with our singing. So how much of that do we look for versus um, like just only uh, addressing the Lord? Yeah. Yeah, so the question about when it comes to um, what was that? What we're looking at uh, when Paul was in Colossians, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, we have plenty of instructions to sing to one another. That's in Ephesians. Build one another up. That's in 1 Corinthians. Um, and then admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms, hymns. That's in Colossians. How does that build into it? That's a good question. I, I think I, I, I would answer it with that when we sing songs to God, the, the lyrics themselves teach us about his nature and who he is and how, uh, how we um, align ourselves to God. And so how we would do that towards one another is we remind ourselves about it. So it's kind of like we, we, we're preaching it to ourselves and we're singing it to ourselves, but we're also doing it to others where I needed to hear that because you know I'm going through this right now and I'm just blind to this particular thing, but you singing this, we us singing it together, it kind of jars me back into the reality of I need to flee this type of thinking or this type of temptation that I'm in because it's telling me something about the nature of God that I've been ignoring for a while. So it could just be just the simple teaching. There's teaching involved in proclaiming about God. So I don't I don't think we could break those apart. I think they're intimately intertwined in certain ways. What do you say, Shane? Uh, we, we found out last week, last week that some of my older kids didn't know how to read music. Okay. Which is interesting because we've been singing hymns in church at home for a decade. So this was this was on me just assuming that they were learning as we were going along. Because they, they learned to sing, but not how to read music. So last week was really helpful um, for us, and then just helpful right for some of the families and younger kids here. That the kids aren't necessarily, unless they do formal music lessons, which is what you all like to do. Yeah. That's a good point, yeah. I think we. Uh, I know that, I mean, government schools definitely don't teach how to read staff. I mean, unless you go to a music class, I guess you do. But it's not like central to most curriculum nowadays. I think that's the point. Like, modern education is not focusing on, you know, music literacy. Unless someone shows an interest in it, then all right, well, then we'll stick you in a music class. But yeah, in the same way, um, again, that we learn to sing, because yeah, Shane was making the point that my kids can sing, but as far as the actual, well, how do I read the music? It's good to sing first and then to then have, right, when we have a hymn, when we open it up, we see a staff, so that's like the, the lines that are running across the page. We see these dots, ovals with stems, some of their flags that look this way, some of the dots. What do those mean? And sometimes there's multiple lines, and I don't know what all those things mean. It's not a mystery. I mean, humans made up this. Uh, they wrote down a language to try to communicate the ideas and music in the same way 
we have written languages for the oral languages. So music comes out, we need to find a way to harness that on a sheet. So that's what all sheet music is, is how do we try to grasp what we're already doing. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't think it'd be tough to, we could knock out a few more lessons here and there. Um, it, you know, just come one Sunday if you're interested. It may not be part of like the Sunday school hour, but we'll just have you know another depth on music reading or something like that. Since if there's a need, so yeah, feel free that we can chat more after that. If, if we have a critical mass of folks, we can definitely do some more teaching in that area. I don't know what time it is, so. Any other thoughts or questions? Just one thing is, um, I know that the contus, there's quite a bit of the um, psalms and hymns on Spotify. So if you, you can literally just skip the beat if you need something to sing along to. Because I don't, I can't carry a tune with my life, so following something yeah. is very helpful. But everybody pretty much so has Spotify, so um, there are a lot of them that are on there. I think if you weren't here last week, Larson mentioned an app called Senior Park. Senior Park. It's only for Apple or iPhones right now, I think. But there are, yeah, YouTube, Spotify, Fine. There's the, there's wealth in the internet. There's plenty of trash on the internet. There's there's so much wealth, and you can find all these songs for the most part somewhere on there. There's an app on iOS, also unfortunately just on iOS, called. Um, the Book of Psalms for Worship, and it's the exact Psalter with the same numbering and, and, the, and the music. So we use that quite a bit at home. One thing you might want to do is the next time we're singing in the context, look at the very bottom. It gives you, it tells you like who wrote the song, where it came from. I think it's over here it is. And it makes it like the Geneva Psalter. So those are out of copyright, so it's no problem just to rip the, those songs and put them in the contests. Um, so yeah, these songs have been around for a long time, and it, it might do something else to help you connect to the historic church as well, and say, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there were people sitting in a room, not like this, but in a room, but together, singing these exact songs, these the same tunes. And then if you want to do any digging on the songs, and well, I don't know where this tune is, but I can Google, it's in this Geneva Psalms room, I can find it. We can adjourn. I hear some kids. Maybe they're about to release the release them as well. And uh, we'll get back together in just a little bit and worship together. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh,